Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 9, entitled The Castle. Uh, I think this is a fairly polarizing episode, Aaron. For my mailbag, it looks like it's about 50-50 people that really enthusiastically liked it and people that were just taken out of the moment. And I've seen similar hmm. trends on Reddit except for... The way Reddit works, uh, the people that are saying that this episode has problems are being downvoted. So sure. <laughs> the front yeah. page is not, I think, representative of the conversation. But and I did not like this episode for a variety of reasons, but I don't think it's trash. Like, I can appreciate what they're doing and the quality with which it's being done. It just didn't work on me. And I was it, surprised. It didn't work on me to a surprising level. Like I was surprised too because, like, my big thing last year when I said the fish NATO really reminded me you're watching a television show, asshole, <laughs> uh, is that it came out of nowhere. Like I was watching this guy who maybe yeah. he's got some supernatural trappings or just really, really good at being evil, setting up these practical jokes on a grocery store guy, culminating in the fish NATO, the the fish NATO of lore. Uh-huh. That's just massive coincidence. Yeah, it could happen in real life. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But in that circumstance, it just felt ludicrous. Sure. And I remember thinking, man, I'm glad that happened in episode six because I got four episodes to rinse it out of my mouth and the season recovered. And it was awesome. Mm-hmm. This has happened on the penultimate episode at the very end of it. And... I also, you know, as early as last week, I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if Mike's head splits open or Hansi's head splits open, little alien guys inside. And and I guess I thought that I was fully prepared to deal with whatever ridiculous UFO stuff, but I'm a liar because as soon as that happened, I, and I, I... Well, you can be forgiven for thinking that because last year they used it kind of... I don't know. I guess it was plot altering last it year. Was, it but caused the, him to drive the, off the road. The whole Stravos or Starvos uh, Grocery King thing was kind of a side plot along the main kind of yeah. Lorn and Molly and uh, 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 shit Lester. Yeah. He gave him a literal bloodbath. This time it was a figurative yeah bloodbath. <laughs> so I just feel like when I watched the man who wasn't there and I saw how they used UFOs. I'm thinking, okay, so there's going to be some thematic stuff, some kind of maybe are these real or is this a bizarre little piece of um, absurdity to throwing into the movie or slash show. I didn't expect it literally to be a deus ex machina that affects oh, primary God. plots with primary characters and alters what was going to happen. And to me, yeah. that's – and I also think that the other things I didn't like about this episode was – Fargo's continuing use of just absurdly stupid policemen to foil the heroes of the story. That's already kind of baseline annoying. I didn't like the framing device of that this is a true crime story that's being read to you by Lester Lester from the season one. It was narrated by Martin Freeman, if you didn't know. Uh, Lester Nygaard, not Lester Freeman. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that and how like very Wes Anderson-y it felt. Like I feel huh, like this season's okay. always been kind of teetering more toward Anderson and away from Cohen's, and this was just set it. And I didn't like the Scorsese freeze frames during the f- fight. Like sure, so all those together were weakening my suspension of disbelief and chipping away. So when the yep. when we went close encounters, I just went nope. So most of the things you mentioned are things that I also disliked. Um, for various reasons and and maybe not exactly the reasons you stated, but like I had the same feeling going through this episode, like, okay, I, I didn't really like that 
stuff with the cops. Okay, I didn't really like the way that they kind of just shoehorn Hanzi's motivations in there as a narration. Uh, I kind of didn't like the way they use that freeze frame. And then when the UFO thing hit, I fucking... I was like, fuck you, man. Especially, and I want to talk... The deus ex machina of all time. I mean, it's... it's. I've seen defenses of it, We're gonna and get some into of them make sense. I just viscerally don't like it. Okay. I want to talk about this, this uh, the narrative device, because it seemed like it was there just to give us insight into Hanzi, but yes. it didn't really. It was essentially, yeah, sure. was it yeah. this point in time? Was it this point in time? Was the stuff that we've been debating for weeks anyway. And that's <laughs> cute, we but don't I know. don't care. Like, like <laughs> That's the debate we're having as the viewers, dumbass. We don't need yeah. you to fucking subtitle it for us. That's the thing. And I mean, is this the third stage of the reveal where they finally just say, hey, this is what you should have been thinking the whole time? That, uh... The, that... It does. That comes across as just a little too heavy-handed, and sure. like, like it's a Greek. Chorus and at the same time, like you. you said, not heavy-handed at all because it doesn't actually tell us anything about it, other than he decided to betray them, which we already fucking know. Yes, and we've seen all the points that, and except for maybe this is notable. I feel like they missed one that some people have been talking about that it was in fact the alien revelation that he had at the diner okay. that caused him to betray them. Like that, that two hours of them scrambling his brain or whatever they were doing uh, was 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 the motivation of the event. And yeah, they so they cast doubt on all of it and say, I guess judge as you will when mm-hmm. he decided to make this decision. But that's what we've been doing. So once that happened, then I started noticing like, man, the split screens are kind of out of control in this episode, and this felt very much style over substance and form over function. Which I, you yeah. know, and you'd already. Yeah. I imagine most people that are fans of Bald Move, when they saw the UFO and they know my thoughts on Fishnado <laughs> and seven four and seven uh, thirty seven twenty seven seven thirty seven down over ABQ. Sure, yep. You kind of knew that like this is probably going to bug me, even though I've been gleefully saying, "Oh, what could they do with the aliens?" Would piss me off. Well, this is it. This is yep. it. Yep. I didn't in that like Hanzi at the end of the finale dematerializing. Off, out of view of anyone else, or in a jail cell, even would not have bought. I thought that would have been cool, but this is uh-huh. just like if the aliens had an interest in the story that we knew about, and that's there's the hints thing. that there are, like I was like, Hank is kind of sort of studying them, and Hansi's got some relationship, but, but we don't get any idea of their motivations. It's just random, completely and, random, and that's the Deus Ex Machina that I yes. hate. Which. If they had been telling me, look, they have a specific interest in Lou. Yeah. For some reason, they're appearing to Lou throughout the course of this. We don't know what that motivation or they, is, but they it's abducted there. Hank a long time ago, and part of that deal is they're protecting Lou's family or Hank's family. Sure. sure. Anything. If they had hinted at a motivation and not even like outright spelled it out to me, but just hinted at it, I would have understood why the aliens are interfering here. As it stands, it's literally. A random occurrence that saves Lou's life, and I fucking hated it. Yeah, you don't ever use Deus Ex Machina in a positive way, unless you're talking no, about the never. video game and you're a fan of that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, I want to. So I feel like to do due diligence and to be fair and balanced, we should articulate. I'll, I'll be the the devil's advocate, the internet advocate here. I will articulate okay. defenses of the UFO plot that I've seen. Yeah, and then you can respond to them. Hopefully, in something more than just "fuck you, man." Uh, this whole season has been set against the backdrop of theater of the absurd. Mm-hmm. 
wherein things don't make sense and you've got uh, like you know some mundane examples of this like a housewife that dies of cancer like that has literally has no meaning your cell division went bad and now you got cancer and you're an otherwise healthy person living a quiet unassuming life and you're going to deprive your your husband and daughter of this for no good damn reason and sure. is the aliens really any more bizarre than just how life can be sometimes mm-hmm. what do you think of that uh here, here's the thing i don't have any objections to the defenses that people are raising it's not a hey you're wrong about this i get it okay they've been building the absurdity through the season it just doesn't click with me i don't like it that's where i'm like because i when i I, when i I see my stories i want a clear motivation for people doing the things that they're doing and the events unfolding the way they are and you can have a little bit of absurdity in there like peggy and ed I have no problem with how absurd it's been that they've kind of bumblefucked their way through this whole thing. Yeah. But when it gets this absurd, I roll my eyes and nope out. I I can't do it. Um, Okay, so let me throw another one off you. I saw this on Reddit, uh, the Redditor, Forswear Fucking, which is why I don't usually read their names. Okay. this past episode is named after the great novel by Frank Kafka, The Castle. In yeah. the book, the main character, identified as Kay, struggles to understand the bizarre relationship between a bunch of shadowy authority figures living in a castle and the people in the village that the castle authorities oversee. Uh, and this is, if you haven't read it, maybe you've read 1984, very similar to that, where the castle authority is perfect, and yet the hero of the story has definitive proof that they aren't perfect. Because mm-hmm. he is summoned there by a mistake, by official proclamation that turns out to be an invalid one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yet no one will – everyone still says, well, the castles and, – and people would rather destroy paperwork than to look at the flaw in them. So it's kind of like – it seems like that's – you know when you hear something's Kafkaesque, I'm starting to get a clear picture of what that means. Yeah. Anyway, the rules the authority figures have set up seem wholly pointless. And in fact, Kafka suggests that any authority they have only exists within the collective imagination of the villagers. But Kay continually tries to get them to the castle to meet with these authority figures and to find out his place in the village, but is consistently denied access. The novel is unfinished, but near the end, a pivotal moment happens when Kay comes across a castle authority who, in a vague way, seems to suggest that he can help Kay. And Kay, fed up with his pointless search for answers, decides to ignore the possible secret message and fall asleep. In other words, he accepts the fundamental absurdity of his position and instead of retreating to authority figures to interpret the situation, affirmed his own meaning. Okay. So... Essentially, this guy was arguing that that was the whole point of the UFO, to confront the viewer with something that they cannot explain. And me, I got pissed off and I went to sleep. Like, I'm like, I don't give a shit. I don't want to listen anymore. Where other people that are like the village class are still trying to go to – they're going to the AV clubs and the seven walls and the bald moves and like, well, explain this to me. Or saying that, oh, this this is the best evidence that Fargo is brilliant yet. Yeah, which is weird because if that's something that Noah was intending, it's almost like looking down on the people that like the. And again, this is just a defense I saw. I don't particularly subscribe to it. I'm just saying that it's a weird kind of point of view to have, to kind of like do a real life theater of the absurd experiment on your audience. Yeah, and so the reason I don't say that this is like I'm not trying to defend this from an objective point of view. Mm-hmm. saying all of my dislike is subjective because I think there's something potentially interesting about that and valuable to a lot of people. Uh, I, I just, I don't, I don't want it. 
Like in my stories. Another Sorry. guy, Rabid Mortal, again on Reddit, uh, says that this is a lens to illuminate Peggy's character. Peggy's an yeah. exceptional character, possibly the most postmodern character that is, a naturally, is naturally anti-dialectical. There are a lot of references to the, on the show to dichotomies. The judge who was given two ways to deal with Rye. Betsy was gi- given either a pill or the sugar pill. Floyd told Simone she had to be with the family or not. You can't, quote, have it both ways. Lou has two pairs of boots. Mike is the future and the Gerhards are the past. However, Peggy spells out her philosophy to Hank when she says that life is not just a series of tests where a person must choose between A or B. Peggy's universe is unconventional and has no real boundaries. To most of us, it looks as if she's unhinged, but from the perspective of Fargo, she's the only character who could fully expected to be to look at a flying saucer, recognize it for what it was, and keep moving. Because, after all, life is a journey. Sure, that's a great line. Not defending that. But at some point, you have to like say, what is the utility of giving into absurdity and going with it, right? Well, and the utility in this case is she if she had done what her husband was doing, she would have got killed by a Hanzi, an episode sure. sooner than she might get otherwise. Yeah, but she might. She also probably wouldn't be in this situation if she weren't too, right? But that's that isn't. I so that's what I'm saying. Like I get intellectually, I get the stimulation yeah. of why this is cool, mm-hmm. but viscerally. I had finally fought through the absurdity of the situation they were in. The fact that this was all engineered by a bunch of stupid cops. Even Ed is smart enough to doubt yeah. this plan. And I started getting genuinely uh, involved in the human stakes of the drama. And like, even though I know Lou intellectually cannot die, I was like, wow, shit. Look at Bear. He just tanked those rounds. Uh, and <laughs> that was he's, intense. Yeah. He's, what is, is like, is Hanzi going to make a turn, uh, going to make a face turn here? Is like Hank going to stumble out? What's going to happen? And then Close Encounters of the Third si- third Kind. And I, again, maybe I'm K. I'm just like, fuck it. I'm rolling over and going to sleep because this is bullshit. But it was weird. And yeah. just like the Fishnado is another blatant you're watching a television show and like i you know but not even that like in my television shows i don't like that absurdity and that but that's what i mean like the good television shows when i'm watching it i get absorbed and i'm yeah like and i'm understanding why things are happening and yeah and really feeling a connection with the choices and decisions that drive these characters like that's the exact opposite of what's happening here. So the other thing I want to emphasize is I actually respect Noah Hawley for taking these chances. I think okay. I would rather a person being out there swinging and missing, especially when they seem like there are these intellectual I, – I can see where he's like, wouldn't it be cool if I yeah. make this thing about the theater of the absurd and then actually have a litmus test for people in the penultimate episode and like going down and committing to that? Yeah. And it seems like for half the people, it really, really worked. For another half of people, didn't. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it was ill-conceived idea. I just, if this is going to be the show that's going to throw a fishnado at me every single season, I don't know what to think about that. To me, that's a, that's a if it's going to continue to do the dumb cops. Because I guess, I, I, I buy corrupt cops. And I buy dumb cops, but having dumb corrupt cops is somehow like way too much. <laughs> but if, if there, there's going to be if this is going to be continuing to be part of the language of the show, I feel like it's going to permanently keep it like a full letter grade back from the other shit that I'm watching on television. Yeah, I'm with you, and I like, so I'm its ceiling is a B plus because they're going to throw 
they're going to throw a fishnado at me. They're going to throw a dripping wet UFO. What some people cleverly suggested is that an explanation for the fishnado? Like this, the, this, this, these UFOs just hide out in the mini lakes in the Midwest and then fly overhead, of, and they're dripping wet, and they've been uh, sure, maybe. I, I mean, know, whatever. Maybe that's the the heat of the thing coming down through the atmosphere causing condensation. Sure, like a, there are, a thousand I can think different. of thousands of reasons why yeah. a UFO could drip moisture, but and here, I mean, here's the thing: I just so don't I, know. I feel here's why I don't totally dismiss everybody's arguments about the theater of the absurd is because they have been building on it. Right. I mean, it's not like the titles of these episodes and thematically have, Oh no, yeah. haven't been there. I grant you that. Yes. And, and I get it. If you like that, um, I should have seen it coming, I guess, I did. but I, I shouldn't have seen it. Like I saw something else coming. I saw yeah. something less relevant to the yes. plot, less in your face. Yes. Uh, I just saw some some periphery thing happening, whereas this was front and fucking center. Yeah. You can't miss it, and it can't be accounted for in any other way than Big Fat UFO, and it's so relevant to the plot. It, uh-huh. it changes the plot entirely. Yeah, and I get it. Like this, Without this... that UFO, I mean, everybody's dead. Hank's dead, Lou's dead. Everybody you care about's dead sure. in that scene. Sure, it's literally a day of sex machina. I mean, that's... yeah. And Noah Hawley leans into it. He's like, yeah, it is. And he had his bizarre quote like, you just don't see that often. And I thought it'd be neat to play with. Well, the reason you don't see it often is because... <laughs> because nobody likes it. Because it's, it's... It's dishonest. Yeah, it's something a five-year-old would come up with. Exactly. I don't like that in my fiction. Sorry. Yeah. And, and when you pile it on top of all the other things I didn't like in this episode, yeah. it really just... I'm, I'm noping out. Like... Yeah. I'll watch the finale, but I'm not excited about it. Honestly. Yeah, it, that's the unfortunate thing because the thing, like, it, the people that don't like it, it seems to have really broke something for them for the show. Yeah, and I'm not not excited for the finale. And and the other thing is there, it's I'm still holding out the possibility that something happens in the finale that recontextualizes this that makes it make sense and be cool, be okay. cooler because it's all yeah. I, again, it's already cool. This theater of the absurd stuff and Noah Hawley's experiment, whatever you want to believe, there's cool elements to that, but something that ties it from a narrative standpoint together. But no, yeah. I and like other people were saying, like it was really ingenious to have this, like you know, every far- episode of Fargo opens up with this is a true story. Uh-huh. Well, now you have like a true story within a true story, so it's like double layer of deniability and. And and like Lou said that there was something inhuman and he couldn't tell you the details of the case because he wouldn't believe him. And last season he was talking to him and like that we should have seen this coming. Like I get all that, but still. So here's the thing: it uh, just didn't come together, and it was too yeah. too much. Like I think I could have rolled at the UFO if I already wasn't kind of teetering on the edge with Martin Freeman reading, <laughs> uh, spec. You know, reading Reddit threads to me. About Hanzi's uh, uh-huh. motivations and that the cops weren't just... But, like, when he said, let's go radio silence... Fuck you, man. Just as, like, what the fuck does that mean? Why would he do that? Is it... Like, it, is he so dumb that he's doing something to just be cool? Like, I've always wanted to say, yes, let's go radio silence. that's silent. what it is. Like, I... Fuck, I... There are know, too his, many problems, like... Was he in the war? Because his wartime experience seemed to be a hell of a lot different than... And the other thing is, did you yeah. catch it? The guy's last name is Cheney. Sure. Yeah. I kind of suspect that this was a dig at the Bush administration, uh-huh. much like he's kind of taken some cheap shots at the Reagan administration. And, like, look, I'm not a Bush fan, but 
if you went this route to make a ha-ha about how stupid Dick Cheney is, uh, I didn't appreciate it. Not because of political politics, because you 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 made a character. It's like kind of like when uh, in the middle of Godzilla, the mayor of New York City is is f- fucking Ebert, mm-hmm. and his assistant is kind of an effeminate version of Siskel. And Roland Emmerich's point was. Uh, Ebert said some mean things about my movie. I'm getting back at him by making some of my main characters be parodies of these things. Like that doesn't serve. Get, get the anybody. fuck. Yeah, that that's. Serve I'm watching you masturbate, man. Yeah, I don't like it. Do that in the do that in the privacy of your own bedroom. Right? I mean, the other thing about the radio is what is the opposite of like the do it do Deus Ex Machina in its intent? Like Deus Ex Machina is there to save a character. Yeah, that was just. Yeah. This is the opposite, right? To put characters in danger and get them all killed you, someone, for no reason. Someone had to hold the idiot ball in this episode yeah. or the plot mechanics wouldn't go forward. And it's weird because someone had to hold the idiot ball to get him into this and then they had to get a deus ex machina, machina to get it out. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, no, I. there are things that I viscerally didn't like. There are some things that I liked. If you want to talk about those? I kind of like, you know, talking about absurdity. I like the way that... Hank points out the absurdity of Peggy and Ed stumbling their way through and kind of being more effective than Lou and himself have been over the course sure. of this, right? Like, Dodd not Dodd doesn't directly knock the shit out of Hank, but his plan does, and then Peggy takes him down. Like, they've taken out Rye. They've done a lot of things here that the cops couldn't do and have kind of bumbled their way through it. And I, I like that part of the absurdity, where yeah. where it makes a certain amount of sense within the story. Uh, the other thing about that is the the scene here is this South Dakota necktie. Does does this guy threaten to have Luke killed? I don't know. I don't even know what a South opening Dakota his mouth. Is that a noose? I assume so. I mean, I mean the Colombian neckties. You col- slit your throat and you yeah. pull a tongue, their tongue out through the opening. But I I mean, is that like, I think it's kind of like a Chicago sunroof. It's supposed to be some unspeakable regional act that you don't even have to define because you can just think of it. It's some kind of unspeakable regional act, but it feels like a death threat to me. Yeah, no, to a fellow police officer just for voicing his opinion. Like, yes, it's, it's like, I feel like this is the actions of a lesser show to have a very smart character be thwarted by very stupid characters. But that is a very Kafka esque. I get it get it <laughs> right i don't i don't want it i don't like it yeah no i mean i i get like i said i i see what he's doing all here it's just you know i don't i don't like it yeah uh, uh and i thought some of the build-up to the massacre was pretty good like there was an intensity to it where, sure and i especially with lou coming back doubling back and and spotting them on the way and well if, if it weren't for this idiot turning off the radio yeah like I would have been okay with him not being able to get a hold of him, but I want to get uh, I want to get away from this just you know bullshit versus greatest hits approach uh, and talk about something that I think the show treated in a very cavalier fashion, which is at what moment did Hansi betray the Gerhards? Uh, I think it's got to be with Dodd in the cabin. Like I I don't know that he goes tracking down Dodd just to kill him. So you really think it was, but the but. Was it just the fact that I am not respected as a human being by anyone? Yeah. Even this family that took me in? I think and so. At the, you know, it was like, do you think that if he had not had to go through the humiliating experience at the bar, 
mm-hmm. where he had to kind of go all in. And, and Dodd was, hadn't called him a Dodd bunch of names. Dodd hadn't called him a bunch of names and showed that blatant, him. like, just how much, not just, I think, you know, not just the names themselves, but the fact that it's like his attitude was, Jesus Christ, what took you so long? Yeah. You're an idiot. I, you know, Do the thing I commanded you to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's not like it isn't, you know, compounding throughout the whole, throughout his whole life. I get that, but I think the moment where he finally snaps, yeah, is when he kills Dodd. Do you think he had some affection for Floyd? Because when he called and said, "There's no need for you to be here, ma'am," and he uh-huh. always has seemed to be like it bothered him to have to lie to Floyd. Mm-hmm. Do you think that he had some residual affection that when she's like stubbornly, well, you know, I've sent three men in the job. It's time to send a woman. He's like, suit yourself. Going to kill you. I think so. But it's hard to square that with his reaction when, you know, people called out, hey, it's a bunch of cops. And she looks at Hansi kind of horrified and Hansi is kind of smug like, yup. And then the kind of vicious reaction he had to killing her. So I think that the thing is like maybe his plan is to go back and kill her. All along, I, I don't know. Well, I feel like Floyd trusted Hansi more sure. than the rest of them. Like, I mean, I, I, so okay, trusted and didn't degrade him because, like, I think Dodd trusted Hansi, but I, he also talked to him like he was a piece of shit. Sure, uh, Bear, I don't think trusted Hansi. I wish I knew how Otto. There, I wish I knew more about, like, other than his alien yeah. shit, I wish yeah. and his motivations. Like, instead of showing us all this shit that we've already shown in this twee Wes Anderson format, I really would have liked to seen a flashback to just some formative moment with, you know, Otto that would yeah. let me know kind of how he feels about the fan. Because I kind of, I feel like I know how he feels about Dodd and how he feels about Floyd, but the old man's relationship is the real mystery there. Yeah. And it's kind of the most important thing, right? It tells yeah. you when it happened. And I feel like historians, I don't know, maybe the fact that the Gerhards are all wiped out makes it impossible. But presumably Charlie's still alive, and a historian can get a hold of him and be like, hey, yeah. how did the family interact with Hansi? Like, why is it still debated? That's the other thing. It's like, I don't feel like they've thought through their own damn mythology here. Like, why is it hotly debated? Hmm. Because you've got surviving members of the clan that ha- were, were would be firsthand witnesses to how the family treated him. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I... Which just made it especially a frustrating device, which I didn't care for it stylistically, and when it was zero I mean, maybe it'll make sense next episode. Maybe Charlie's going to be killed in prison or something, and, like, just all the Gerhardt's gone. Yeah. It's possible. Um, Or maybe he just doesn't have that much interaction with Hansi. I don't know. Let's talk about Betsy. Is Betsy dead? Uh, I don't know if she's dead right now. The thing, so here's the thing, when they presented that phone call from Lou as two timelines happening simultaneously, when she collapsed and Molly found her, the phone started ringing, and then the next time we see it go back to the the kitchen where the glass is shattered, uh, you know, Betsy's not there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Nor- Noreen's not exactly a strapping lass. Is it sure. possible that she's able to, like, do, do you think Betsy was just passed out and she's able to get back to her feet or be helped to the couch or to lie down? Like, it didn't feel, I don't know. The so way they used the Molly, shatter, the like, way they used Molly and the framing of her being there implied yeah. that she was dead. But also, like, do you, don't you think that they could have gotten a hold of Lou and or Hank since Hank wasn't, like, when this On stuff happened, when it was during the daytime? Yeah. Like, 
surely they would have been able to get a hold of them if your daughter slash wife was dead and there or was even no in phone the hospital call. like yeah so you they know, are you proposing that betsy collapsed and just didn't go to the hospital maybe like, she didn't went to tell the hosp- anybody maybe she went to the hospital but i'm like if it if if it's serious to like death or hospital i feel like lou and hank they would have been able to get a message through because yeah. the radio silence shit didn't happen until much later in that evening Several uh, hours, anyway, and everyone knew where. I mean, Hank, like, I get it. CB radios doesn't have infinite range, but they know the police department's involved and where they're interfacing, and the phones still work. Sure, and they can patch through people via phone through the, so. Mm-hmm. And we've seen them do that this season. So what the hell? What was the? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why they wouldn't have contacted Lou. Um, but it's one of those things where I kind of, you know, I'm kind of proactively pissed because i feel like the language they use tells me that betsy's dead but mm-hmm. i can't explain why we didn't get to see lou and hank's reaction to that other than and i it would guess be inconvenient for the plot well yeah but and also like is the threat totally passed does, does he feel like the threat has moved on to south dakota and he no longer has reason for carl and Sonny to be watching betsy hmm because they're just question. absent. Yeah, no, I f- I feel like and yes, Noreen has replaced them. Okay, because I can buy know, that. Because you know they got they they feel like they got the Gerhards on their side. Yeah, so it's just the the Mike Milligan threat. Sure, they got the Gerhards, and now they kind of have this plan, you know, with Ed and to wear this wire. But <laughs> they they think the threat's elsewhere. That's fine. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff I like. Um, just you know, kind of smaller moments like Ben kind of proving that he's not completely useless. No. Killing a couple you... guys. I thought Ben was a little shit most of the time, and he still is. Yeah. But I liked him dropping a couple of the assailants and his line about, oh, Christ, is Rapid City all over again. Yeah. Which is funny because season in season one, three, he said, Jesus four. Christ, it's, it's, it was uh-huh. Sioux Falls all over again. Uh-huh. So, like, for being a shit cop, he's been through some, and, and also, yeah. yeah, you're right, he wasn't totally incompetent. Yeah, he was kind of shitting his pants. No, he but needed he Peggy one... to see like what none of the other cops could, which is, hey, look at all these menacing shapes up outside our window. Sure, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Well, all the other cops were asleep because they turned off their fucking radio. And like, there's like within the dumb cop rubric, I felt like them all wearing identical Wranglers and white t-shirts was funny, uh-huh. and it also just in like an absurd way, it's like they played right into Hansi's plan like them being plain clothes sure. cops make them look like they're just getting you know yeah low-level gangsters and they're and some of the conversation they're having about the best piss they have you ever had a conversation with someone about the best piss you've ever taken no like, is that code word for these people are fucking idiots i think so yeah i'd like i also think that's interesting like not everyone is a sink slash shower slash pool pisser sure i've had all those conversations but I, what I've observed is amongst that community, it's like, you know, the you, when you're talking to general contractors, so you can have it good, you can have it cheap, you can have it fast, you can pick two. Those communities mutually abhor each other. Sure. Like a shower pisser yeah. will con- just cannot conceive that you'd piss in a pool because other people are swimming in it or piss in a sink because people wash their hands there. Yeah. A sink pisser can't conceive pissing in fluid that's going to touch your feet mm-hmm. or – and a pool pisser can't conceive – 
You know, it's like, well, it's, it's well, the, the pool pisser has no leg to stand. The pool pisser, it's 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 uh, the solution. The pollution is dilution. Oh God, essentially, yeah, you're right. You're you right, know, it's but... like you're swimming in poison water anyway. So what the fuck? We got chlorine in here for for our health. No, it's to kill shit. Like and 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 also urine's a sterile fluid and all that. But I think it was interesting to have. Well, kind of funny actually to have that play out. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I didn't have a problem with that necessarily. Uh, I really, speaking of lines that I really love, uh, Mike Milligan rolls up after the carnage. Okay, then. Okay. Which so. is a line that we've been hearing throughout the season, which makes total sense. And, and it makes me wonder if a little bit of Fargo or this area is not rubbing off on Mike Milligan. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the nice, I mean, it's also nice. just a way to say, holy shit, look what happened here. I and guess we're leaving. Yeah. So uh-huh. now obviously... He's going to take credit for all this, just as he was taking credit for Absolutely. things that haven't even happened yet. Yeah. Uh, he was throwing some Hail Marys himself. Do you think, though, from Mike Millen's, Milligan's point of view, he thinks Ed did this, yeah? Like the Gerhards tried to ambush Ed, and Ed fought them all to a standstill, and, and might, so. might still be alive? Uh-huh. Is this, <laughs> like, is it going to be, is it going to be interesting if the, the Butcher, Butcher of, of Laverne, Laverne becomes a real-life mythology? Yeah, like if Hansi no, like dies, if Hansi dies mm-hmm. and Lou makes no comment and Hank dies, that's another thing I want to talk about. Um I I that's satisfying to me as well. The fact that the yeah. butcher of Laverne has become a real thing because of some of his own badass work and also some of his wife's quick thinking yeah. and also Hansi being just deadly. And it, it if it wasn't already, yeah, the butcher of Laverne is real now. Um you know, the other thing about the – I want to talk about the, the people were – the people that liked the UFO were gratified because, you know, that one weird conversation that Lou had with the weirdo that was espousing UFO stuff while they're waiting in line at the gasoline. Station, yeah. He said, yeah, the stuff always happens in threes. We had the UFO appear to Rye, appear to Hanzi, and mm-hmm. now appear to Lou, and it's always herald strange events. So it's like, again, okay, Noah told us that this was coming. But yeah, no, I get my it. response is like, if you told me nine weeks from now, I'm going to kick you in the crotch. And you reiterated that every week. By the time week nine rolled around, I'd be expecting you're surely just not going to do something as obvious as kick me into the, the, the crotch because who's going to enjoy that? And then you just and go also and you kick can't, me in the crotch. And also you don't enjoy the aftermath of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, well, like, got to respect your intellectual honesty. Yeah. And your your rigor. But uh, my balls hurt now. I see so. why you did it. I still don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Was not delighted. Was not delighted by the twist. No. I was actually kicking me in the balls. I was mostly delighted by this massacre scene. I thought, I, I thought, man, you got these guys rolling in and they're playing it right. They're yeah. you know, setting up at the doors and they bust in and just total carnage. Here. Sure. Really graphic. And the like Hansi yeah. headshotting the one store clerk was another the C store clerk was really phenomenal yep. too. Yep. Um and him super gluing his shoulder together was really cool. But then, like, this carnage goes down, and you see Bear, and he gets shot in the fucking head from Lou. And it, I guess it, it just hits him in a way that, yeah, you know, it looked we like... talked about this in, in Leftovers, like, the kind of rebar through the head sort of thing. But where did you think it shot him? I thought it shot him behind his ear. I did, like, too. Like, I like literally really, it like, might have taken a piece of his ear off. I did, it didn't no, look I, like a fatal wound. I mean, given the angle, it looked to mm. me like it was clean through or maybe you know maybe it does one of those bounce off the skull things well again like but if, i imagine yeah. they're using higher caliber than a what a 22 i don't know it wasn't like the 38 special which is not that powerful of a cartridge yeah 
I mean, maybe Lou's uh, using a 357 Magnum. I mean, I I'm trying know. to explain it rationally how he could get shot in the head and not yeah. die. But at the same time, I also think it's badass if he just got shot in the part of his head where it didn't affect everything. Like, it yeah. didn't just kill him outright. Yeah. Uh, maybe like he couldn't speak or something and huh. it made him drool and like, yeah. cause you see that later he goes on. into an animal rage. Yeah. And then he just sprints at Lou and Lou's like, Oh fuck. Yeah. What do I do now? Now I don't know that Lou was super smart helping him cover the ground. Like, I don't know that you need to walk toward him while firing yeah. your weapon, but yeah. it was still super badass. And I don't know if it pays off, like not getting to see a lot of bear at the beginning, but it certainly did justify it a little bit. Right. Sure. Like, we've kind of had this growing menace of Bear and his intimidating physical presence. Yeah. Uh, even more so than his brother Dodd, who is kind of more No, when that, when we got to that point, I fully violent. believed that this man could take several shots from a handgun, even in the vicinity of his head, and yeah. still have enough. Like, kind of uh, in the old when the old Bear bought it in Game of Thrones. Exactly. Like... You know, and that even that would have been a better way to go out if he just like you know midway through choking Lou, he just bleeds out. But yeah, this guy's a physical specimen mm-hmm. with a sufficient amount of adrenaline in his, which he got when he saw Hanzi betraying his mother. Yeah, and that was the ultimate. That was just dumb on Lou. Like Lou should have let those guys you know duke it out. Sure, yeah. Don't. But take he's a, a shot cop. You know, he's not a shit cop. He's not going to take cover and just whoa, see where the bullets lie. He's going to take an active part in it. So yeah, but that was awesome. I like that scene a lot. Yeah, uh, what do you think about the what do you think about the Scorsese freeze frames or the Tarantino Man, freeze frames? Again, it felt to me like an intern run amok. Like intern goes, you know what would be cool? I'm going to do some some effects here. This is not like this is oh, not like the, this is taking too long, and we don't have the time or the like, budget. What if it had been the, not it, through up to what if it had been up and through episode nine, and we'd never seen a split screen, and they started suddenly went split screen? Like that would be a conscious. Look at the stylistic flourish we decide to use. Well, they did it, why. right, with the narrator. So that that is present. And and I think, like we talked about earlier, it's not just They have not thing. used this freeze frame throughout the whole season is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And I'm saying they also did it with the narration. Well, yeah, which I also did not like. Yeah. Like, so it's not it's not one thing. Like the freeze frame I thought was odd, a yeah, weird choice and it's like not any one I didn't thing. like it. It's but... not any one thing. It's the combination of these things taken together that just really made me think that I was watching almost a That felt purposeless. Almost like a Rodriguez like way over the top machete type thing. Okay. Yeah. You know, like what the hell? But I'm not watching Machete, so it really yeah. took me out of or it. Or like a uh what's that horrible movie uh that's kind of a fantasy ass kicking uh, sucker punch. Oh yeah, fuck that thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't like sucker punch either. Felt kind of like that. All right, uh, Hank gets shot in the gut. Is he dead? Is he dying? Uh, I mean, he's certainly dying, but will he die? So it seems to me that can, can, his is last it possible line Lou could and Molly be... lose their grandfather and mother and slash wife. Oh sure, uh, in this single episode, off cam, all off camera too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't have a huge problem with that. Huh. Okay. I think they've they've done enough groundwork there. It feels um, a little unsatisfying for both of them to go out without any real last words. Although I guess you know this so is who I'd... Lou is. Lou is not the sentimental. I mean, he does. He loves his family, but he's a cop first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And and Hank, I feel too, right? Like both of them. Hmm. So like I I could definitely see this being Hank's see, last words. I don't think words. Hank does. I I think that's the clear difference between Hank and Lou. 
Like, Hank is the guy who's, you know, thankful he was able to dodge orders that would have gotten him killed. And I think Lou's the guy that might have gone hmm. at the orders that got him killed because if, if he believed that they would have served a strategic purpose. Yeah, Lou, I, mean, Lou I, is I see a bit, Hank that. I don't want to say more brave, but he is more selfless in his courage. Like, I, I don't think any one of them are cowards. You're confusing me. I'm... I'm okay. not sure who you're talking about. Okay, here. so Hank Lou. Lou, Lou okay. I think, is more selfless in his courage or maybe reckless in his courage. That I don't think that either one of them are cowards, but Hank is a little bit more pragmatic. Like I, neither, And then neither of them want but to die. But what about Hank's stand on Peggy's porch? That's what I'm saying. Like, like He had to do that because that's his job as an officer. I feel like Lou goes a little bit on the side of looking for ways he can endanger himself. Like, I don't know huh. that Hank fires at okay. the bear when bear's running away from him in the other direction. <laughs> Whereas okay. Lou breaks cover to go make that shot because YOLO, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I'm... I don't know. Which I like. I, I like, really I like Lou's it, but... being a badass. I just feel like Lou is an A1 badass and Hank, and Hank is a B1 badass. I mean, but to talk about Hank's potential death, I think it's interesting if his kind of final words here are... See, I'll, I'll be there with a suit of armor on, you know, or yeah. with, wearing a suit of armor. Well, especially if it I turns think that out Betsy's dead too, then you know maybe they're having dinner in the in the ether or in the heaven or or, <laughs> or in a UFO ship. Why in not? A UFO ship, sure. UFO ship and alien ship. But it's it weird. Also, if both of them die, then it's the the Hank study crammed with UFO stuff is never going to pay off, or it doesn't feel like either. Maybe it doesn't need to pay I mean, off. Because I don't think it's going people be to, like, "There's honestly. a fucking UFO in this episode." What do you mean it didn't pay off? Yeah, but, you yeah. know, like, what's Hank's personal connection with this? Sure, that's the problem with with this. We don't really have a reason for Hank to be drawing all these symbols and so crazy into it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that could be a good bookend for his character, and he could die here. But at the same time, cops are pulling up moments after he's left by Lou, so I don't think you bleed out that fast i don't think a gut gut shot wound is that severe now he's an older guy when also i don't know that like cops are coming but our ambulance is coming i mean i assume there can be one there within minutes right it takes hours to die of a a gut shot so it's not like it's in sioux falls though. five minutes versus 10 minutes is going to be a big deal yeah they got a hospital and i, yeah. I guess depends so, like, how much blood he loses and he's old and... but he's old so like maybe his body just can't take it maybe he does die here and those would be fitting last words but at the same time, I think he could be saved. Yeah. It's not definitely not hopeless. I don't know how emotionally satisfying it's going to be for Lou to be absent for both of these deaths. But Yeah, I guess I didn't feel like it was super emotionally satisfying with Betsy collapsing if she's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, I need a moment with her and Lou because that's the one thing. And Molly. That's I, the one thing I haven't got is that yeah. big moment between them where – like, we've always had all these small moments, right? Like, sure. Betsy nodding as Lou goes off to do his police or thing. playing in the snow Very understanding, wow. and I yeah. I get it. Like, though, that shows a deep, gives us a deep insight into the relationship, but I want a moment with them. Yeah. And I, I I need that. So I hope Betsy is not dead. Otherwise, that will feel pretty hollow. Yeah, that's the other thing, because I, I, uh, that I didn't, I, I talked about it a little bit, but now I want to talk about it more, because I thought that, framing Betsy and Lou's relationship as that deep down Betsy feels that she doesn't deserve Lou Hmm. weakens a lot of what I liked about their relationship where they both respect them doing their own thing and are not holding each other back. Or now it feels like maybe Betsy feels like I don't deserve a man like Lou. 
So whatever he wants to do, I have to be fine with and have to support hmm. because I don't deserve a man like Lou. And I yeah. that was just a throw off thing between him, her, and the Breakfast King. <laughs> And it's kind of stuck in my crocodiles up until that. I thought Betsy was kind of a badass, you know, like she she could have been as cop as as good as Molly was. Um, yeah. Uh, and she just chose the noble tr- uh, uh, tradition of, of being a mother and a housewife instead. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I don't know that that sticks that that takes away from her, um, I guess, being an independent character a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Maybe that's just her insecurity. She doesn't really it, does, it doesn't express itself through her daily life and whatever, whatever. But I'm just saying, like that that little throwaway line changed how I felt about her character a bit. Sure. What else we got to talk about? Because unfortunately, I'm kind of out. I don't have uh, I don't have a lot more to say that we haven't already said already. Uh, we do find out that Hansi killed Constance. There's that. True. I mean, that's uh, you know, not super important at all, other than Constance is dead. Yeah. Uh, and I, I enjoyed the stuff with Ben, Ed, and Peggy in the hotel room even before Ben showed that he isn't a complete waste of skin. When when Ed leaned forward and asked Ben, is what we're doing right, was he talking about the whole metaphysics of him and Peggy's situation, or was he talking about this deal with the wearing the wire and all that? So I thought he was taking Lou's words to heart okay, and, and wondering about this wire situation. Yeah, I, I think definitely that, but I wondered if there wasn't a little bit about just eh, the, whole, the whole thing. He's kind of had this crisis going on for a while sure. in his head, and he's too dumb to really articulate it yeah, and think like, it all the way through. Yeah, that's why I think the Jesse Plemons of him just sitting there thinking before he cleans, <laughs> like, I thought that was such great because you're right. He doesn't have a sh- – he doesn't have a – his machine is not – made to that tolerance to really grind through these philosophical questions. Yeah. But what he knows is he loves his wife and he wants to make her happy. Yeah. And he wants to have this family. So he'll protect it at all costs. And the absurd things he does are motivated by that. And I get that part of the absurdity. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So good on Ed. But yeah, I don't have much, much else to say. Okay. Well, let's get in the feedback. We got a lot of feedback. Unfortunately, a lot of it was what could you guys please talk about the UFO? I hate <laughs> like, the as UFO. If we I wouldn't. love the UFO. <laughs> or like these things drove me crazy. Uh, so um, it know, would be funny to do this podcast not... without mentioning the UFO. <laughs> talk about theater of the absurd. <laughs> yeah, that that would that's yeah that would be right? kind of a very uh, I think Noah. Yeah, uh, take take that Noah. <laughs> yeah, I think he would he would appreciate that. Uh, Andrew V said, I'm from Minot, North Dakota, where I currently reside, but I lived in Northeast Montana for a couple of years recently in a primary farming ranching community. So there's this bar in Scooby or maybe Scobie, <laughs> Montana called the Ponderosa. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. And contained in this bar were walls full of brands as in a rancher's brand that he would brand on a cow's hide, which incidentally mm-hmm. bear a fair amount of resemblance to what we consider the alien hieroglyphics. As a decoration, a bar had huh. invited the community's ranchers to place their brand on decorative wooden blocks and hung them all over the bar. It stands to reason that a sheriff of a small town in Minnesota would have a reference to the community's brands, but taping them all over an office is still very strange. So I think he was – I cut out the first part. I think he's saying that maybe that wasn't Indian language and it wasn't alien language that we saw in the bar and his was actually brands. Mm-hmm. But I That's... don't know in context if I buy that. I mean the – so the English language stuff underneath him – tells me that it's probably not because mm. mm-hmm. uh, i mean as far as i know brands don't have like any 
theme or meaning other than uh, they got the laces the farm and the double bar butt fuck and yeah all yeah those. it's just the farm that it comes from sure that's their symbol it doesn't like, mean like fetus or yeah. <laughs> yeah sure none of that stuff although i think it would be cool if that bar if that ponderosa place also branded the steaks as they come out with mm. the brand of the farm that that steak came from or they brand the customers <laughs> i'm sure there are restaurants that do beeps. that Yep. Uh, Ryan S. said, the thing I can't really understand is why haven't these groups been arrested yet? The law enforcement knows who they are, where they are, and what crimes they've committed. Why didn't Ben and Lou arrest Milligan and the kitchen uh, folks when they busted them in the hotel? They knew they'd committed crimes, not to mention the illegal weapons in plain view in the hotel room. The Gerhards have a compound, so I don't see why. I see why they are tough to get to, but the Milligan, they had to drop on him a, very, a few times, but they just let him go. So... Yeah, I feel like they down? established that Mike Milligan has a clean record. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where do you want to bust someone on the fact that he's got a sawed-off shotgun and that's the only thing you get him on and he does some community service and he stays on the streets or do you want to nail him and connect him with the really big crimes that are being committed? Sure. And can Lou make that case? And Because once you make that arrest and you charge him, that's it. That's it. Uh, you can't, you know, so yeah. I, mean, I know there's more to it than that, but that's kind of what I assumed. And as far as the Gerhards, not only are they hard to get to, but the police made a deal to forgive all capital crimes committed up to this point in exchange for their cooperation. So they wouldn't go after the Gerhards regardless. Sure. No, that makes total sense. Although the Gerhards don't have not kept up their end of the bargain. <laughs> um, but I don't think they knew that until this episode. Uh, Virgilio V. Which has a, has a name that just marches through a door ahead of him and punches you right in the face. <laughs> in my case, a tongue. Given you guys are already speculating about Peggy and Ed and how they'll survive in the season, what do you think about this as an ending? Peggy and Ed escape, take on an alias, and have a baby boy. They're alias the Malvo family. <laughs> uh, why not? How old is Lauren? Uh, that's a he's good too old question. to be. Is it the so? If he's born in '79, he, child of these, two. yeah, he would be younger than me, and he seems like he's older than me. Like I'm, I'm turning. Yeah. I'll be forty next year. I, fe- I felt like Lorne is minimum forty, probably more in the fifties range. Yeah, I think he's too old for that, but kind of, kind of a neat idea. Yeah, um, have him be Lester. Can he? Could he be Lester? <laughs> Surely not. They take on the Nygard. Holy shit! Billy Bob Thornton's sixty. Wouldn't have guessed that. Fucking Christ. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't have either. Must dye his beard. Uh, Jim A wonders, perhaps seriously, perhaps not. It's the theater of the absurd on the podcast. Uh, why Hansi wanted a change of life. Could it be that Constance gave Hansi a quick lesson of life spring when he and she were in the hotel for the seminar? <laughs> Maybe Hansi is tired of being a prisoner of we. <laughs> the LOL and smiley face implies that he's joking. But yeah. I don't know. It'd be, it'd be funny. I think if he, we know why. He, he after he strangled her, he picked up some of her literature and was like, "This makes this makes some sense." I'm tired tired of this life. I need to cut my hair. Matt from Knoxville mm. just want to drop some Lebowski knowledge on y'all. When Betsy is talking to Carl Weathers in the kitchen scene in episode seven, she asks him to look after Lou and Molly. She says to let Lou know it's okay for him to remarry as long as he doesn't marry Robert uh, Knutson sure. because her eyes are too close together and it's weird. This is a very small callback to Tara Reed's Bunny Lebowski's character, the mm-hmm. gold digging trophy wife of the big Lebowski, whose real name is revealed to be revealed to be Fawn Knutson, a yeah. cheerleader who ran away from Moorhead, Minnesota, to become the first Bunny LaJoya porn name, and then eventually Bunny Lebowski. I thought that's pretty. 
I, it's that's La Jolla. A, that's, People are going to jump all over you for La Jolla. But what did I say? Oh, La Jolla. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus but, Christ. But yeah, I I totally knew that. I thought, Why doesn't I my thought brain we brought that up. Jim. Um, well, no, uh, I don't think we brought the La Jolla thing up. No, we didn't bring the Knutson thing up as far as I know. But that's what I'm saying. That's a, that's a deep cut. I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, it's not that deep. It's a pretty deep Lebowski Well, cut. I don't know. I've seen Big Lebowski like a hundred times. And you didn't make it. Pretty deep cut. I didn't mention it. <laughs> oh, you made it? Sure. What the... F- you just... <laughs> I don't need to mention... Like, I don't feel... So what there good are is having a there. host on a podcast and seeing Lebowski a hundred times if he's going to let the slick Knutson reference slide, There man. are so many references in here. I feel like it's useless to Fair. point them all out. Fair point. Like, that would be all our podcast is. And some of them are so subtle to not be interesting. Like... Only interesting in the in the the way that oh here's a wink. All right. Uh, P.S. Uh, movie recommendation: Bone Tomahawk. It's just released. It's on video of dem- on demand. It stars Kurt Russell and Patrick Wilson and <laughs> Zahn McLaren uh, Hansi in a small part. Also Bone has Richard Tomahawk. Jenkins, who is awesome. It's a western horror comedy, and it's fucking sick. You guys have to check it out. Bone Tomahawk. Okay, I got actually, a good name. Yeah. And you got Patrick Wilson uh-huh. and Zahn McLaren. Sure. I'm kind of in on it. Why not? I'm always looking for something crazy to watch. Watch Iron Skies, for God's sakes. Uh, hmm. Liz G uh, sends in a article that she found on TV Over Mind. And this is breaking news after last podcast that um, Fargo got renewed, which I think we talked about last podcast. And also Noah uh, has come forward and given a couple quotes about what it could be about. In fact, I'm going to read you all the quotes from this article. Okay. Holly says, It's more contemporary regarding the setting and time for Fargo Season 3. It's set a couple of years after Season 1. And promises there are going to be connections. The way the first year was connected to the movie and the second year was connected to the first. But I think part of the fun is figuring that stuff out. And I wouldn't want to take away that from anybody. There will definitely be things that connect to something in our story. So not Rapid City. Not Rapid City, but revisit it. Like, I'm excited about, I hope Lou's a more, a bigger part of the story now that we know kind of more of his deal. Although that would be kind of, uh, be interesting if they jump forward three years and he's dead. (laughs) Three years past uh, the season one. Right. Molly was pregnant at the time uh, we left them, right? I think so. So they'll have uh, the kind Gus's. of uh, a little bit, little Molly or Gus running around. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Now, also, it, it, just because it's got connections doesn't imply that it's going to have literally the same cast and characters from the previous one. Yeah. Like, in fact, that'd kind of be surprising if they play any more than a passing part. Or it'd be kind of cool to see Lou, old Lou be a main character, but Molly and Gus are, you know, because they're in a different town and Molly's not in police work anymore, if I recall correctly. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't remember. Um, but I it, think Gus didn't. Gus go to like the postal yeah, he's, he's, service yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's. he's I post, don't know what. Mo- I thought worker. Molly was still maybe in it. Hmm. But uh, no, I think it would be interesting to have Old Lou because we didn't get a lot of Old Lou's character. Um, have him be like a Clint Eastwood, yeah, type character. Yeah, sure. Serving out hot justice from his coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Matt L. said in season one of Fargo, Gus Grimlin and older Ben Schmidt are talking in the bathroom and Schmidt says, it's goddamn say, uh, Sue falls all over again. Just wanted to give credit to Matt. We, we talked about that. Um, this week, with Rapid City? This week it's Rapid City, yeah. yeah. Jake from Tallahassee said in season one, Lou describes the Sioux Falls massacre as animal, except animals kill for food. He says he saw something 
and that year uh, that year and he hasn't seen it before or since he continues but drifts off it's aliens man hansi's a goddamn alien watch his facial expressions when he stabs mama gerhardt it's a weird mix of satisfaction and anger while being completely emotionless now the, 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 come on jake you can't say it's a weird mix of satisfaction and anger both <laughs> emotions while being completely emotionless but he does say it sure. was it was horrifying which i agree and he goes, I'm calling this for the finale. Lou, Peggy, Ed won't kill Hansi. If he dies at all, there will be lens flares everywhere, and he'll just disappear. Aliens, <laughs> man. Uh, that would – I would have liked that payoff minus this UFO. And the other thing is, if he's an alien, his reaction to the UFO showing up was bizarre. To kind of – He was kind of like, it. what the fuck? How could this be? Yeah. Especially since he was previously exposed, which I guess maybe he wasn't even consciously aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there'll be an alien brand, like when they do an autopsy on him, he'll have some weird marking on his shoulder. That's the reason he went bad. Does that does that make the UFO worth it for you? No, no. <laughs> there, I don't. I don't know that they could do anything in the finale that'll make that huge day's worth it. Uh, Gus G from Volkswagen says, as I watch season two of Fargo, it's becoming evident that this season will end in a showdown, likely more epi- ep- epic than season one. If this is going to be the formula for the series, uh, I'm committed as it's reminiscent of the way Breaking Bad set up for their series finale. If you remember, leading into Breaking Bad, f- the final four or five episodes, we're expecting a clash between three groups who I'm not going to mention their names because it's spoilers. But at the time, uh, for at the time for convenience sake, we decided to give these three groups a color-based nicknames. Team White, Team Purple, and Team Panzer Gray. I'm curious if it might be helpful to do something similar for this season of Fargo. Might I suggest for the Kansas City Mafia, Team Takeover. For the Gerhards, mm. Team Fresh Baked Bread, or now that they're all dead, Team Dirt. And for Hank, Lou, and Peggy, and Ed, if we can group these together, Team Actualized. And for the Little Green Men, <laughs> Team Little Green Men. Uh, a little bit of a mouthful. I, we need something different from Kansas City, like uh, Team Synergize, or Team TPS Reports, <laughs> or... Uh, yeah. What was the what, team metro? What was it that said if if uh, uh, the, Joe Bulo? He said if something says oh, yeah. we move, we move. If something says we deal, we deal. And I can't remember. Was it research? Team research? Maybe I don't remember. Uh, I don't know. But uh, Gerhardt seemed to be they're going to be pretty. Riv- it's Team Charlie at this point. Gerhardt's is now Team Charlie. Pretty Done much. deal. Plus, it's got the Vietnam tie-in. Yeah, um, I, I like do. The other actualized. thing I do like is how everybody's kind of looking for another of the Gerhards that is not going to show up. Like the the Mike's whole thing here hinges on Dodd being alive, mm. and like Rye, we kind of know that you know Dodd is not alive at this point. Yeah, and there's no way he can fulfill that part of his mission. Sure. So. Uh, yeah, but in Team Little Green Men. I'd go with either Green or Bim for Bug Eyed Monster. Team right. Bim. Yeah. But yeah, I like that. Team, so what do we say? Team, what was the Kansas City I, Mafia? I don't know that Can we're going to have time for these things to matter. <laughs> so I'm just going to roll with them and say, sure. All right. Sure. Uh, whatever you want. A team, team, uh, uh, investment portfolio, whatever, whatever you want to go. Team uh, Manila folder, team Green Bar, Green Bar Report. Okay. I don't know. Uh, Hatorian wants to know, what are your thoughts on the UFO's potential link to the Fishnado? They made a pretty big deal of the showing the UFO dripping water, possibly an explanation for the Fishnado in Season 1. It would explain how the fish could become airborne from an icy lake and otherwise fair weather. Thoughts? I feel like we covered that pretty well. 
Yeah, neither so. one of us much of a fan of the UFO or Fishnado. Can I just say I've I've been, I think I've been saying since the beginning of the season UFOs don't really feel like Fargo to me, and I I know they're going with the the Cohen brothers motif, not just Fargo, mm-hmm. but it's just never felt right to me. It's odd. Yes, it's oddly heavy-handed in a way that it wasn't like. I hope Noah Hawley doesn't feel like that he has to just jam these references into every season. Like, he has to get around to every fucking Coen Brothers movie because, yeah, you know, if there is a dildo writing chair that shows up in season three, Just Cause, I'm going to be like, no, no, Burn After Reading is a shitty movie and you shouldn't reference in the first place. I don't need dildo chairs in my Fargo shit. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. It takes me out of Fargo and puts me into this other weird space. Yeah, and it's like I said, the, it, this that's not how it played out in Man Who Wasn't There. There was one throwaway reference to a crazy person ranting about UFOs and then they showed up at the end in a very ambiguous symbolic metaphysical way and they did not yeah. pivot or hinge the plot. Sure. Uh, anyway, Ward J said, Am I completely insane or is the plot line of Hanzi tracking Ed and Peggy heavily influenced by the Terminator? Ed being holed up in the police station with Hanzi outside. The hotel scene is Hanzi uh, <laughs> used Constance to track down Ed and Peggy minus him actually killing her and using uh, her voice. Uh, at the last night scene where the Hansenator repairs himself in the bathroom, all very reminiscent of Terminator. At yeah. the end, will Hansi turn good and give a thumbs up just before being melted in a vat of, vat of lava? <laughs> Why not, man? I had uh, uh, Dr. DeVito explain to me how Mean Girls and the Terminator were the same movie. So I am ready to accept any Terminator-based analogy at this <laughs> point. Well done. Jonathan L. said, and the man who wasn't there to UFO's appearance is an opportunity to escape death and finality, but is rejected. I disagree. I disagree with that characterization, by the way. In Fargo, the UFO's appearance, again, is an opportunity to escape death and finality, and it is accepted. Are there other threads or connections between the two that line up, or is it simply a nod to the movie without necessarily paralleling it? Uh, I know. And like you said, I, I feel like the man who wasn't there's use of UFOs is completely and radically different from Fargo's use of it. Okay. And again, you can take the you can take the UFOs out of the man who wasn't there, and it doesn't change the movie one fucking iota. It just takes a little bit of the color off of it, which mm-hmm. is funny because it's a black and white film. <laughs> you take the UFOs out of this season of Fargo, a major character's dead. Yeah, many major characters are dead. I, that doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> uh, Barry C from the UK said the one thing I really take away from season two is that I really want to see more of Lou. I feel like season one spent more, t- much more time on Molly and establishing what a badass she was. But probably because this has been one of the all-time great ensembles, I feel like we haven't gotten the best of what Lou is capable of. More than anything, I'd like to see season three to somehow give us more of him. What do you think? I think that Lou's been pretty fucking awesome in this. Yeah, that's where I'm going too. I I. Like what more? How much more of a battle? Like he he kind of got the better of Hanzi in a firefight. Now, granted, Hanzi had boiling coffee poured on him, but Lou is a stone cold badass, arguably more so than yeah. Molly ever was. Molly was a more of a detective, although you know she also was no slouch in the badass department either. No, they've showed me plenty of Lou's character. I I think they've showed me both sides of him: him being a badass cop and him carrying. For his family. Having uh, said that, I would like to see more old Lou. Yeah, and I need I need a touching scene between him and Betsy. Or and, and him and Molly. Like, if they, if they deprive us of him and yeah, Hank yeah. and him and Molly, then we got to have some kind of barn burner Molly moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, although, 
I have to say that, like, where there's no doubt that Lou and Molly have a lot of affection and love for each other, they do have a weird kind of not at arm's length relationship, but a much a, a reserved relationship in season one. They do. Like, there's um, not a lot of like, uh, you know, like I, I, I don't think that they're gonna hug each other and cry or just blubber. It's gonna be like, well, your mom's dead. Okay then. Okay. Okay then. Like, you know, that's sure, kind yeah. of their like. It's not saying they don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Jenkins B says, "What's your take on the tri-split screens? Until this episode it was passable, but now they just up the level to douchebag at the office doing a fancy PowerPoint presentation, impressive boss." <laughs> I agree. Yeah, you I didn't have. A big I didn't think so. It. No, I thought it. It really. It put an emotional point on Betsy collapsing and Lou calling her. Um, I I didn't have a big problem with it. He says also the narration. It made me feel dumb. I mean, come on, don't they know that we listen to podcasts or browse Reddit? Exactly my point. Like, why draw con- attention to the meta conversation your fans are already having? Without bringing Without any resolution, any new and insight, I, yeah, and kind of out of nowhere too. Like I'm, I, I kind of like the idea that this is this has become legend, uh, and that there is this book of Midwestern crimes that that is also legend, and this is one of the legends within. I kind of like that. I just don't know that it did much in the way of filling out this story. Yeah. Uh, Tyler from Chi-Town makes a lot of the same points we did. I wanted to read them because I thought they were very succinct. Mm -hmm. said, to me, this episode is plain and simply form over substance. Mm -hmm. The voiceover, which is a nice touch by bringing back Martin Freeman, was a patch to a very shaky overall story for this episode. The voiceover device seems like it should talk about the story as a whole, but it was only used to tell one piece, which, of course, is the biggest loose end of Hanzi. And, by the way, why is the voiceover basically, I don't know, to the whole story of Hanzi? What was the point then? I feel like it was written to try to patch up that story, but instead left a festering wound. Yeah, I mean, it did kind of also remind me of, you know, Big Lebowski, where you've got the voice over at the beginning, who uh-huh. who also kind of throws up his, his hands and says, I don't know. You know, he has a sit-down conversation in the bar at the bowling alley with, it's, it's with dangerous the dude later dr- on, and he's just like, okay, dude, whatever. It's dangerous drawing your inspiration for a drama from comedy. Indeed, and then like I, I, I'm, I'm, th- I'm not talking about in little touches because obviously Fargo is a hysterical show, but you can get yeah. away with things like I don't know who cares. It's a funny story anyway that you and that you can't get away with on something as serious as Fargo is. Yeah, and I mean, I mean Lebowski is a comedy with some drama thrown in, and Fargo is a drama that is lightened by a little bit of comedy. Yeah, and there's a big difference. Indeed. Liz G had a bunch of questions about Hanzi and his motivations. I feel like we've adequately covered. Uh, and Kim G from Cali uh, sent in an email about the mid-season finale of The Walking Dead. It said that there are several shows I consider better than Walking Dead, but none more engaging. For example, Fargo blows The Walking Dead out of the water every week. In fact, my theory is that you're especially hard on The Walking Dead because Fargo comes on the next day and it's better in pretty much every way. No, the real reason is because The Leftovers comes out the day <laughs> of and yeah. it is leaving everything else in its dust. However, and I don't know how to say this, if anyone in the characters if any one of the characters in Fargo dies, I just wouldn't care. Every actor on the show is killing it, but I feel like I am on the outside watching and loving a bunch of great actors at the top of their game giving stellar performances and an incredible story. I'm impressed by every aspect of it, but I'm not especially invested. That sounds like a criticism, but I'm not. I'm just marveling at this show. 
The Walking Dead has the benefit or burden of having had the time to make me care about the characters. Do you agree with that assessment that you don't really care about anyone on Fargo? Uh, at sometimes I at some points of this season I do, but ultimately I think they've done enough to draw me in. Um, specifically with like Lou and his family and Hank and all that stuff that I'm I'm okay. Like I I don't say I'm I'm an observer outside looking in. Sure, I'm an alien pulling up to a horrible massacre. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I guess, yeah, I, like, I'm interested in, I, I, I agree a little bit, but I don't agree because I'm invested in Betsy, Hank, uh, Molly, and Lou. Yeah. Which I was kind of already invested in just coming into the story. And yeah, there's that. I also was invested in Simone, and they rubbed her out, so mm-hmm. uh, I don't know why. I, I don't think it's because I found her physically attractive, because that happens a lot in t- television. I, f- I, was, I just really liked her character, and I thought it was going to do something, and it didn't, so... I, I think know. you felt a lot of sympathy for her character, certainly. Yeah, growing up in a kind of repressive... Yeah, probably. The way Dodd's treating her. Sure, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, not feeling like you're heard or respected by your, your parents. Yeah. Um, that's all the feedback we got. Again, we had a lot more feedback, but it was about a lot of, uh, UFO best ever slash UFO. What the fuck? So, okay. Uh, thanks for writing it in. I hope we adequately covered it. That's all we got. Uh, Fargo at baldmove.com If you want to send us feedback and, uh, the forums at forums.baldmove.com If you want to respectfully debate your opinion about the UFO uh, merits or, or cons. Sure. Um, and we'll be back next week for the finale, which I I'm very nervous about now. <laughs> me too. And that gives me, me like I said, I I never like going to the microphone and recording a negative take because it's a fool's errand. Uh, the fans of the show are probably going to take it personally somewhat, and the people that agree with you already feel that way. Especially so. on a show where we've been mostly yeah, positive. It's, no one it's can rough. say we've got it out for Fargo, man. God no. I would hope not. Yeah. I mean, it won the week last week. Mm-hmm. This week it, it it set the week on fire and burnt it to the ground while it was yeah. still on the week. It hadn't crossed the week yet and it just just you know scorched earth it it, it launched a nuke on itself. Yep, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how the finale goes. That's all I can do. Alright, until then I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Bye. See ya.